Hey, everybody, it's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Katrine Hanska, who's running our engineered papers business. Katrine, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. So you, if I remember this correctly, spent a little bit of time living in the U.S., how badly did I just butcher your name compared to all of my American colleagues during that time? You did actually reasonably well, so congratulations to that. All right. How would you say your name to the Getting to Know listening audience so that they can, they can learn and figure that out? Um, my name is Katrin Hanske, so you pronounce it pretty well. But okay. since I did leave you know, Germany over 25 years ago and I lived in many, many countries since then, I'm probably not even used to hear my hear my name spoken correctly or spelled correctly. So I'm I'm pretty good with that. So I get used to a lot of things when when it comes to my name. We appreciate that flexibility for sure. So Katrine, uh, we will weave in and out of some personal and professional stuff here in our time together on the Getting to Know podcast. Let's start, if you don't mind, with your role in your business. Could you tell us a little bit about? Uh, what it is that you do every day, and in particular, where you play from a from a business standpoint? Uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm in charge of the engineered papers division of the legacy SWM part of the company. Um, I've been in this role now, I mean, in this full role now for a couple of weeks, but, you know, joined the company about 18 months ago and really in charge of what we call the legacy tobacco side of the business. So the majority of our business deals with with tobacco customers. We do have a diversification part in our business, which we're trying to grow. But of course, a lot of people, when they hear engineered papers, they think tobacco. And as most people know, and probably also hear and listen to it in in the radio or in the news, uh, this industry is in the process to reinvent themselves, to make sure, you know, people live healthier habits, uh, people do not get cancer from smoking. People, you know, have access to solutions which are more healthy. Uh, so as this industry is reinventing themselves, of course, we do the same thing. So a lot of, of uh, you know, what I do day in and out is making sure that, of course, we ex- extract value from our legacy business. But we also, we really push innovation. We, we work with our customers. We invent uh, solutions which are helping our customers in that journey. So it's it's going to be a pretty interesting, I would say, five to ten years for this industry. And there's not going to be everybody surviving by the end of this decade, I think. But uh, my job is to make sure that SWM EP definitely is, is one of those. Gotcha. Well, we appreciate those efforts. So what drew you to this business 18 months ago? It's a funny story. Um, Actually, um, I was on a walk with my husband on a Sunday afternoon when he got a call from a guy he knew from his previous life. And uh, supposedly, Omar and I worked at the same company, but at different points in our life. So Omar was looking for a person who could run the tobacco business, having no relation to tobacco. And uh, he was given my name and looking for my husband to bring us, you know, bring us together, not knowing that my husband is actually my husband. Oh, funny. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, so this is how, you know, Omar and I got to know each other. My first initial reaction was, oh, hell no, uh, which I think is what many people think when, you know, thinking about joining a tobacco company or a company supplying the tobacco industry. 
but as uh, as Omar and I, you know, kept on talking about the challenges SWM has, and and where he thinks I can contribute. Of course, counting on 1,400 people who know everything and anything about tobacco. You know, I I was yeah. You know, more and more getting to the point to say, yeah, I actually can see myself doing that, and I actually see how I can create value. Uh, and um, no regrets ever since then. I, I really like what I do. That's great. That's great. Take me back to the early parts of your career. What what led you from university to the role that you have today? Actually, if you look really far back, what I, what I wanted to become is is a, is a sports person. You know, I did competitive sports for a very long period in my childhood until my father said, you know, this is not going to pay the bill at the end of the month, uh, every month, and for, for definitely not for the rest of your life. Uh, and uh, my father being an engineer, um, you know, very logically, I, I felt like, yeah, you know, it's it, engineering is what I like. I think engineering is what I'm good in. I loved math, I loved physics. So I became a semiconductor engineer. I started my career in the semiconductor industry and uh, manufacturing, engineering, building new plants, really, really liked it. But what I liked even more is, is project work and working with people. Uh, so as I grew older, you know, I, I figured, you know, I don't want to be the engineer in the lab or on the shop floor always but really want to make sure that I can start and continue to work with, with people more and more. Uh, so as the financial crisis hit, I left the semiconductor industry as many other people because, you know, Europe didn't really want to invest in that industry anymore and, and moved on, worked in the paper industry, but really moved more from an engineering point of view to operations, supply chain, logistics, working more and more with people. And, you know, that's... Uh, just as my journey continued, this is where I evolved. I, I liked working with people a lot. I really was miserable to it during COVID because I couldn't, you know, get physically together with people. Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, how I ended up being where I am today. That's great. That's a great ride. So along that ride, you mentioned earlier that you left Germany 20 plus years ago. Did you go to university in Germany? I did the first half of my university career in, in Germany. Uh, I moved then to the UK, finished up there, and then right out of university moved to the US. Left the US 2003, kind of because I didn't like a president at the time. <laughs> uh, spent a couple of years in Asia, um, really loved my time in Malaysia. Malaysia was my favorite country, uh, but also lived uh, quite some time in Japan and China. And then came eventually back to Europe but um, now I enjoy my life in tiny little Luxembourg. Try to get my kids here through school and, and make sure they get a good education. And then uh, we will see what comes next. How long have you been in Luxembourg? Just since you joined the company? No, actually, we've been here living here now for five years. Okay. So you mentioned your husband and kids. Talk to me a little bit more about the family. <laughs> we are a huge family. And we are a very male-dominant family. So it's my husband, and between the two of us, we have five boys. Oh, wow. Aged between 13 and 18. So uh, it's a pretty intense, you know, uh, household. Uh, in order to support myself, we have a lady dog. She's a Labrador lady, and she's, uh, she's you know, the heart of this family. At some point, definitely draws a lot of attention. My oldest son just left for university, so we have the first one out of the house. 
and now we just see what the next ones are up to. So we have two more boys leaving in two years from now. Let's see what they want to make out of their life. I would say uh, probably one engineer and one, hmm, let's say, it's still open to be defined. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So how far away did that oldest boy go to university? Is he... 700 kilometers. It's oh, not a wow. weekend trip. So wow. he went to the north of, of the Netherlands. Uh, his passion is really in, in environmental engineering. He wants to save the oceans. Uh, so he looked for a place where, you know, he can learn all that and, and follow his passion. So it, it, he ended up to, to go to the Netherlands. Well, good for him. Good for him. How difficult was that on the family? I mean, I don't think too difficult because, you know, in, if you look back, I left that my my home or my, my parents early. You know, I, I, I moved out when I was 17. We always, we traveled a lot. We always, uh, we moved around a lot. So we always know no, the, the bond as a family is always there regardless of where you are. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what he does and what he wants to become in his life. Um, and uh, so it was not so difficult on me. Of course, I always check in, make sure you know sure. he's healthy, he gets up early, and things like that. But in the end, I think he, he made the right choice for himself. Good, good. That's great. So you mentioned earlier in your life you were very involved in sports. Is that a big part of your life with your husband and sons? Uh, sports is a big part of, of our family, yes. Uh, very different sports. So you would never see my husband running. He definitely is not a runner. I'm, uh, I, I need running to, you know, to get my brain off. I always ran uh, short distance when I was young, long distance today. Uh, but we, all, we have all our kids in sports somehow. So the one is a basketball player, the other one is a soccer player. They all have different interests. But uh, sports is a big part of our lives. And I think it definitely on my side, it helps me to, you know, get away from the craziness of work and make sure that I can disconnect from emails, Zoom calls and whatsoever. Yeah. So is this like a daily part of your routine or is it something you just do? Yeah. So every day, morning? I think I'm even in my team today, I'm notoriously known for the fact that wherever we travel, I do have my running uh, shoes with me I have my running gears with me so my team knows me there always needs to be an hour an hour and a half of every day where she can go out and, and can go running gotcha so are you plotting out routes when you travel to new places or do you just kind of get on the road and go just go on the road and go uh, yeah I don't you know I, I don't pick routes more of a morning runner or just whenever you can get it in when I travel, it's more a morning run. When I'm at home, I must say it's more an afternoon evening run. Um, just, you know, it makes it easier when you travel because normally in the evenings you have your famous restaurant appointments and you need to, you know, sure. do those kind of things. So it, it draws me in the morning. But if I have the choice, I run in the evenings and the afternoons. Have you gotten involved in, in formal races or uh, anything like that or you just kind of do it on your own? I do try to run like one or two marathons a year. Um, recently, of course, there was a lot of those virtual things, which I'm honestly not a big fan of. So um, let's see how that moves forward. This year, I it was less so uh, just because I didn't get a head start on training. Because even, yeah, you need to train for a marathon. You just you know, you don't pull it off like sure. that. Uh, but as of next year, I think, yeah, we'll continue you know, one or two a year and then just see how things go. Good for you. 
Good for you. What's the best thing about running? You talked about being able to get away from email and calls and kind of clear your head, but like, how does that actually work for you? I mean, it, it depends, you know, what, when you run. If, if I really run on a work day, you know, the best thing is you leave the house and, and you're still mentally writing emails and doing presentations. And then at a certain stage of the run, you just run and you, there's no thought in your mind anymore. So that's, I, I mean, this is the part where, you know, it's all about what's the next step, what's the next, you know, corner to turn and things like that. So this is the part when you really disconnect. And I, I love that feeling, you know, at some point I just, I come back after an hour or two hours and my son says, mom, you have been gone for two hours. I said, oh, I, I didn't even realize. I just kept on running. And that's yeah. where the point, you know, when you really disconnect. On the weekend, of course, you were in vacation, you plan your runs and, and go routes and you select where you're going to go. And then, of course, you're looking forward to the scenic route or the tour. And it's more about where you're running. So I like that part, too. But um, especially on the weekday, you know, it's just about forgetting everything and, yeah. and just focusing on something. So as a young lady... You said sports were a big part of your life. Your dad had pushed you a little bit toward the engineering path. What what did you what did you in your earliest memories think you would be when you were all grown up? Participate in the Olympics. Okay. In uh, in like a sprint type of event? I was scouted for sports when I was really, really young. I was uh, four or something. So I really, I mean, this is really early memory. And I started with sports when I was really young. And of course, at that time, we watched, you know, Olympics and it was the biggest thing and the biggest adventure for people to participate in the Olympics. So for me, you know, what I, I wanted to be uh, was really, and I ran 100 and 200 meters, was uh, to be on this famous Sunday 100 meter run of the Olympics. When the stadium is full, everybody's watching you. And of course, we have the men run after that and they get even more attention. Uh, but uh, this was what I, I was wanted to do in life. Yeah, my uh, both of my daughters were slash are runners, and I remember them talking about the two hundred meters as being a really really tough kind of mental race because the pacing on that is so key, right? Yeah, it's 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 really. I mean, I always called it the mini marathon for me because you know at because you you can't it's the hardest thing is to pace it to make it to the end uh so it is uh, it's very strange you know when you think about it now retrospectively how much i complained about it being a long distance when i was young yeah uh but it is one of the most challenging races because uh, it's you, you you have to start 100 percent from the first second but then to get through it, it's just, it's really, it's all about your head. It's yeah. about how mentally strong you are to push you towards the end. That's the uh, impression I got. Clearly not an event I ever participated in uh, for, for a variety of those reasons, though, those of which we, we don't have to go into right now. If you could go back and with all the knowledge you've accumulated through your career, go back and talk to the Katrine that was, you know, a young engineer in the semiconductor industry and give some advice to that person, what would it be? Learn even more languages. I, I think we, we do so much easier when we're all young to learn and, and pick languages. I've seen that even with my kids. I think I'm, I'm blessed that I speak a variety of languages. 
But I think this whole curiosity and not being afraid to talk when you are young, uh, just benefit from it and, and learn even more languages. It's just so much easier for kids. I see that with my boys now. They speak seven, six, seven languages, uh, just and, and they pick it up so quick. Uh, yeah. And uh, for me today, it's, of course, it's just so much harder to learn a language for various reasons, because of course you are an adult, you're much more afraid to speak up and, and make no mistakes. And then of course it's the time component. But uh, yeah, that, that would have been the advice, learning with that's, more languages. That's, that's good advice. Did you pick up any language skills when you were in Malaysia or Japan? Uh, I did actually learn South uh, Korean pretty easily. We had a site in Korea and I felt Korean was an easy language, a very logical, for engineers, perfect language. Okay. Uh, I never got into Chinese and Japanese, uh, just too hard. And in Malaysia, you just have the benefit, they love English. They, they are so, doing so well on the English side. Yeah. And uh, it was never the pressure. But uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, traveling brings the benefit of picking up languages. For sure, for sure. So what is your full tally of, of languages that you're comfortable in today? If you count Luxembourgish language, sure. you know, every Luxembourger would say absolutely is a language. I would always say it's a dialect. I, I speak and can understand five. Okay. I probably survive, you know, ordering in the restaurant and, and getting around in a couple of more languages, but I wouldn't say I, I you know, I'm, I'm fully fluent and, and comfortable there. Yeah. So you mentioned six or seven for your boys. Um, wh what are the what are the gaps? Where where are they further along than you? Uh, they they definitely. I mean, they both picked up on Portuguese pretty easy in, uh, during kindergarten because they had a kindergarten where there were a lot of, uh, of Portuguese uh, parents and with their kids. So they are definitely had on the Portuguese side. And my oldest now, of course, picks up the Dutch like no tomorrow, and, and because he goes there to university. So that's where they are ahead of me. My younger one is, is pretty good in Span Spanish, which I would say is one of those languages I get around, but I would not count myself to be really fluent in. Gotcha. So Katrine, you're an engineer by background, love working with projects and kind of having the people interaction. What would your team say are your greatest strengths as a leader? You should ask my team. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, you know, I, I think I'm... I'm very organized uh, because of course I'm an engineer. Numbers mean a lot of a uh, lot for me and as well as process and system. So I'm, I'm a decent listener. I think I can listen to people but sometimes I also lose patience. I think where I really help my team is really making sure you know let's always get back to numbers process and system and let's make sure we move forward. We cannot save the world today and tomorrow but we can be a bit better every single day and make sure we keep moving that path. So I would say that's probably what they appreciate. I normally don't make promises I don't keep, or I cannot keep, but I uh, I make sure that every day we improve a little bit versus yesterday. Uh, so hopefully that's what they would say. Good, that's good. That's a good place to be. If you could, and you will, and you do have an audience, but if there's one wish you had as we come together that you could bestow upon the organization or maybe even advice that you would have for Julie and her team, what would that be? I think, I mean, it's, it's probably the classic in the, in the merger. Be respectful to history and culture. We are bringing a lot of cultures together. We're bringing a lot of history together. And, and be respectful that, you know, we all have this past and making sure that we understand where do we pick up everybody in this journey. 
because we're all going to come from a different background, with a different history, with a different company culture. And if we want to create this new Matif culture, we need to make sure everybody, you know, finds a little bit himself in this new culture. And that's just, I think, what we need to be always mindful of when, of course, we want to optimize profits and make sure we get everything out of this merger, commercially speaking and financially speaking. It's In the end, it's still about us as people making sure we want to work for this company. Yep, absolutely. It's great advice. Um, how do you feel like your team is doing in the early days through that lens? I would say probably at this point a bit sit and wait rather than being, you know, part of the journey. So I need to, you know, we need to make sure that we really make everybody part of the journey. Right now it's still probably a little bit sit there and wait and see what's going to be imposed rather than trying to be part of it. Yeah. And that's, of course, also because, you know, we are spread all across the world. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's sometimes also difficult to make sure that from day number one, everybody really feels embarked. Uh, because there's this day-to-day, you know, we had a couple of issues left and right. And sure. Of course, now we have all those inflation challenges uh, facing us. So building a culture in this environment of a lot of stress factors also on the team is uh, is a challenging yeah. Uh, path. Yeah, sure. Plenty of challenges for us. Exciting times for sure, but comes comes with some craziness, right? Katrine, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we ask our guests, three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those right now. First one is, what is always, at all times, no matter what time of year, in your family's refrigerator, all those dudes hanging around, you and your lab? I mean, five boys, there's always meat. Meat. Some kind of meat. I mean, we have, we have five boys in the middle of, you know, between 13 and 18, as I, as I said. Despite the fact we all eat healthy, there's a lot of vegetables and fruits, but meat needs to be there. And I would also caution you to say, you know, our refrigerator is most of the time not full. <laughs> it's always oh. half empty. Yeah, yeah, I understand. They, they, can, go, they can go quickly with a bunch of guys that age from what I've gathered. All right, well, you mentioned, second question, you mentioned that amongst your team, you're, you're known to always have your running shoes with you. So... That may be the answer to this next question, but if there's anything else amongst the people that know you well, even be outside of your team, what would you say you're most famous for? It's exactly that. It's that. I think the minimum they expect me to carry always around is, is my running shoes and my trainers. Of course, I'm also also for, famous for, and, and you might recognize that as we meet in person eventually, I'm notorious also for wearing the highest high heels. Oh, Yeah. And it's probably because my husband is very tall. Okay. And, uh, and as you know, Omar is very tall too. So I always have a lot of tall men around me. So I'm probably also notoriously known for the fact that I'm wearing the highest high heels. How high are these heels? Uh, normally anywhere between 10 and 12 centimeters. I've got uh, my oldest daughter is 5'11", and she is not afraid to strap those big heels on either, which I think is great. Katrine, last question for you. What would you say you're most looking forward to right this very moment personally i would say really for 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 my kids to get through school and and make sure they find their way in life uh, and and exactly get what they what they're looking for for us as uh, you know as 
as Europeans, but I think also for, for most people around the globe right now, it's just that we get this conflict over in, in Russia because it's, it's something which is, you know, in the year of 2022-2023, I, I think we were all surprised uh, that we would still have something like a war in Europe. And I think Europe needs more than anything right now, needs peace in the middle of Europe and, and get this over with, uh, yeah. start over. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, certainly something something great to be looking forward to. So appreciate the perspective. Well, Katrine, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a ton going on right now with your team. So we appreciate you taking, taking the time with us today on the Getting to Know podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. For those of you in the listening audience, thank you for your time as well. And we'll talk to you again in two more weeks.